Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Yeah, thank you, Anna. Okay, yeah, um, morning, um, and, uh, and thank you again for tuning in with us this morning. Um, now, you've probably noticed, it probably hasn't escaped your notice, that unless something drastic changes later with the Prime Minister's address to the nation, we are about to enter, I believe, our eighth week of lockdown in the UK. And by now, you are probably used to going outside only to exercise, going to the shops a lot more rarely than usual, uh, having all of your social interaction over Zoom, um, and perhaps even cutting your own hair or cooking and baking things that you would never have dreamt of before you were confined to your home. For me this week, it was lotus biscuit fudge, okay? It's like a heart attack in every cube. I can give you the recipe if you want it. Um, But here at CCM Fallowfield, now, you will have noticed we have nearly finished a series in Isaiah, but this week, I wanna turn elsewhere in the Bible and address what I have noticed is one of the biggest theological questions raised by this global pandemic that we find facing us right now. And that question is simply this, what is God doing? What is God up to right now while all of this is going on in the world? Because the coronavirus is a terrible, terrible thing by all accounts. It's shut down our schools, cut us off from our friends and families, put many careers in jeopardy and businesses as well. And worst of all, robbed so many people across the globe of their families, their parents, their children, their loved ones. What is God doing while this pandemic claims life after life? Now, this is an age old question. It's been asked throughout history by uh, theologians and uh, everybody really has been asking this during the pandemics of history, natural disasters genocides, wars, slavery, terrorist attacks, economic crashes, anything that rocks the world to its core. Where is God when the world falls apart? Now, over the last few weeks, I've heard this question asked in many forms, many of them over the internet. And I've been disappointed to see so many people ignore it or skirt around it or simply dismiss it by saying, we don't know. It's another way of saying the Lord works in mysterious ways. But the truth is that the Bible is not silent on this issue. While we can't ever fully know the mind of God, the Bible actually tells us quite a lot about his purposes. What is God doing during the coronavirus? Well, this question, I'm not going to lie to you, is tough, largely because of what the Bible tells us about God. The Bible says that God is all powerful. He is in control of all things. He is sovereign over everything. He is merciful. He is loving. I don't know about you, but There are times when those parts of the Bible that talk about God in that way are easy to read and times when they're a little bit more difficult, particularly when the world around me doesn't look like it should. Because what that means, what those verses, those biblical truths mean, is that everything that's going on in the world has either been caused or permitted by God. Romans 8 verse 28 is perhaps one of the most troubling verses, although it should be one of the most encouraging But it's troubling because it says we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I love God and I've put my faith in Jesus. I believe that God has called me to follow him. 
I even believe that God is working all things together for my good, as Paul says in Romans 8. But I still find it quite difficult, maybe you do as well, to see how a global pandemic could lead to anything that I would consider good. As I said, this is an age old question and to answer it, to address it and to show you that the whole Bible speaks about this. I want to look at two very different stories from opposite ends of the Bible, where two different sets of people, first the people of Israel, second the Apostle Paul, ask the same question. What is God doing? And why does God allow terrible things to happen to those who love him? On the global recession in 2009, John Piper said, God causes these things. He foresees them all. He causes or permits them all. And when he causes or permits something, he does so with purpose and design. Now, there are huge differences between the recession and the COVID-19 pandemic. But I want to illustrate to you this morning that the Bible witnesses throughout that when God permits terrible things to happen, he does so with purpose and design. There is purpose in his permission. In all things, he really is working for the good of those who love him, the ultimate good of those who love him. Now, to illustrate this to you, I want to start in Exodus chapter 2. Okay, now uh, I'm going to show you an image that you may well recognize from a film that is played all the time in my house called The Prince of Egypt. Okay, now this is my wife Claire's probably favorite film, at least you'd think that from the amount she watches it, okay? Um, and the soundtrack of this film is not only the soundtrack of my days, but because Claire likes to watch TV as she falls asleep, the soundtrack of my nights. It's pretty intense, okay, to hear the opening line to this musical, which is uh, a song called Deliver Us. And if you have ever seen this film, then the, the, the chorus of that song is probably ringing in your ears right now. But it's the people of Israel crying out to God in their slavery, saying, God, rescue us, deliver us. Now, I bought Claire tickets for Christmas to the Prince of Egypt musical in London, which sadly are now worthless. But I will set aside my bitterness about that right now. But what the people sing about in that, uh, in that first song of the musical, uh, The Prince of Egypt, is, the, is a paraphrase of what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Let me read that to you now. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, let's not sugarcoat the situation that the Israelites find themselves in here. Now, I've already said that God is sovereign, all powerful. Nothing is outside of his control, which means that he has permitted Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to enslave God's people, the Israelites. And if you were a young Israelite in Egypt, listening to your parents tell the stories that they heard from their own parents about God's power and his faithfulness, you might well find yourself asking that question. Why are we suffering? What is God doing right now? And we can never fully know the answer to that question. But the Bible isn't silent about it. Verse 23 actually gives us some insight into God's purpose in allowing this terrible thing to happen. It says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. The Israelites cry out to God precisely because they are in slavery. Now, please don't get me wrong. 
Not for a second am I suggesting that the Israelites' enslavement was a good thing. It definitely wasn't. That's why God rescues them from it. It wasn't something good. And I'm going to say the same thing about the coronavirus. But in their helplessness, pain, suffering and anguish, they cried out to God for help. Why has God permitted this horrible thing to happen? Well, we get some insight so that his people might come to a deeper level of trust in him. There is purpose in his permission. To illustrate this further, let me go to the other end of the Bible, to the second letter of the Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul recounts to his audience a horrible catastrophe which recently befell him and his travelling companions. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 to 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, Paul here recounts an experience that pushed him to his very limits. Recently, to keep fit, and because my garden happens to be 15 metres in length, I've been doing the bleep test uh, on a fairly regular basis to kind of see how my fitness is progressing. Um, And if you've ever done the bleep test, if you did it at school, you'll know it's the most gruelling, horrible exercise that's designed to force you to your limit and then force you to drop out. And in his ministry as God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles, Paul travelled all over the Roman Empire preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you read the book of Acts, and you read the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians particularly, you see that Paul's journey was far from smooth. He was tried and tested and persecuted at pretty much every turn. Paul was pushed right to his limit, but he wasn't about to drop out. And we don't know exactly which of his countless afflictions Paul was speaking about here in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 to 9. If only somebody would write a PhD thesis about Paul's afflictions which is what I spend most of my time doing, by the way, if you didn't get that. Um, But we do know from those verses that it occurred in the province of Asia Minor, probably in its capital, which was Ephesus, and that what happened was life-threatening. But we know more than that. Paul gives us some insight into how it actually made him and his companions feel. He said, it caused us to lose our will to live. He says, we despaired of life itself. The most likely theories about what happened to Paul is that he was savagely beaten or an attempt was made on his life or perhaps that he was imprisoned and uh, threatened with capital punishment, which is why he uses the phrase sentence of death. But whatever Paul's referring to here, this thing that pushed him to despair of life, surely, surely it's not a stretch to imagine that Paul asked the same question that we're thinking about this morning and that the Israelites had thought about 2000 years before him. What is God doing? What is God's purpose in allowing this thing to happen? In Exodus 2, we saw a group of God's people wrestling with that question. And here we get the individual perspective. But in the same way, the theme throughout is that Paul emphasises that there is purpose in God's permission of this terrible event. 2 Corinthians 19, the second half of that verse says, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. The terrible episode of the crisis in Asia has led Paul to rely even more on God. It's bankrupted him of his self-confidence 
and given him God confidence. In other words, a realization of his own mortality, a tangle with death, has caused him to uproot any confidence he had in himself, replant his roots in God, the one who ultimately decides who lives or dies. So why has God permitted this horrible thing to happen? What is the purpose in his permission? Well, part of it is that his follower might come to a deeper level of trust in him. So those two stories from opposite ends of the Bible, what either side of either side of the Gospels, either side of Jesus. What do the stories of Exodus and Paul's affliction have in common? Well, it's a theme, isn't it? It's this, that terrible circumstances which God has permitted can lead to a deeper level of trust in God. Both passages actually use language of deliverance to speak about what it means to trust God in terrible circumstances. Now, deliverance, let me be clear, is different from delivery. Okay, delivery, or at least delivery at the moment, is when somebody drops a package on your doorstep and backs away at least two meters so you can safely collect it. But deliverance is the action of being rescued or set free. Exodus 2 verse 24 that we read earlier says, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Now covenant is another Bible word that means an agreement, an agreement between Israel's forefathers and God in this instance where God promised that if the people of Israel worshipped him, he would multiply them and deliver them into a land that they could call their own. Now, it kind of goes without saying that this promise that God made to the people of Israel required them to not be in slavery in Egypt forever, which means that the covenant he has made with them is a covenant of deliverance, a promise that he will rescue them. And in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10 the next verse in that passage that I read to you a moment ago from the second letter to, to the Corinthians, Paul says this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril or other translations say death and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now those are some words for us to live by in the coronavirus era. God has delivered us before. He will deliver us again. As followers of Jesus, we, like Paul, are able to look back on the ultimate act of God's deliverance. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, which delivered us from the deadly peril of death. God has delivered us before. And we're able to look forward to the day Jesus returns, delivering us into God's kingdom. God will deliver us again. So if God is calling us to trust in him, right, if that's part of his purpose in allowing the coronavirus to happen and is working all things together for our ultimate good, as I said at the beginning, and I quoted from Romans 8, 28, then what do we do in the meantime? What do we do during the coronavirus? Well, I've noticed that a lot of people have been looking for the good in the pandemic, haven't they? People have been uh, keeping their eyes peeled for good things that are sprouting out of the terrible events that we find going on in the world right now. And I haven't just noticed other people doing it. I've been doing it myself as well. I want to celebrate and be hugely encouraged by stories like the story of uh, Colonel Tom, who raised over 6,000% of what he originally intended to fundraise by, uh, uh, you, you know the story, right? Just search for it. Or the huge surge in the support for the NHS. 
or the exponential rise in the number of debts being paid off because gambling shops and pubs are closed or communities and neighbours pulling together, or the environment finally taking a breath of fresh air. All of these things are good, right? And they're the things that people are looking for and clinging to, I think, as a way of coping with all the bad that is going on. But the fact is, despite all of those good things, we are still dealing with something terrible. I probably don't need to tell you that. The virus is sweeping across the globe, taking lives left, right and centre. If we simply weigh up the positives and negatives in our lives as we see them now, well, then the bad of coronavirus will always outweigh the good. And this is why faith in a God who allows things to happen with purpose and design is so essential right now. Because the bad will always outweigh the good in a catastrophe. That's what makes it a catastrophe. Unless God in his love mercy and power and eternal perspective can use even the worst catastrophes to work for the good of those who love him because anybody who in the face of a global catastrophe cries out to god for help like the israelites and chooses to trust in him like paul uprooting their confidence in themselves in the process and turning to god anybody who does that has put their faith in the unfailing god who has delivered us before and will deliver us again. Let me encourage you right now not to stop looking for the good things that are happening right now amidst all the bad. Let's encourage each other with great stories of what people are doing. But let's not allow ourselves to become so obsessed with looking for the good that we forget to look for God. What we're dealing with here is something terrible, something truly awful, a stark reminder that we desperately need God's help. I wonder uh, how good you are at asking for help. Why don't you be really honest with yourself right now? How good am I at asking for help? I personally am going to admit that I'm bad at asking for help. When it comes to emotions, it's no secret I'm a bit of a, a stoic. I like to ignore any pain that I go through and carry on as normal, bottling it all up. But there have been several times in my life where I've really needed help, support, whether it be from my family, my friends, or even on a couple of occasions from a therapist. But getting that kind of help and reaching out for that kind of help requires us to first admit that we need help, to lose that arrogant self-confidence that we have and say, actually, I really need help right now. Let me encourage every one of us right now not to just bottle up all our fear and anguish over the coronavirus, but to allow this global catastrophe to bring us to our knees in prayer to devote ourselves further to God. And as we learn what it means to rely on one another, to learn what it means to rely on and cry out to the one who delivers. Right now, he's calling every one of us as believers to a deeper level of trust in him. Or if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, he is calling you to put your faith in him, saying nothing else is worth putting your faith in. Only he is. To trust that his permitting of this horrible event is part of his working all things together for the ultimate good of those who love him, our deliverance into his kingdom and eternal life. Now, just to finish, you may have seen particularly this week, the recent statistics which say that more and more people in the UK are attending church, now churches online, and that more and more people are considering prayer. But, but why? Why on earth is this? Well, a wise person pointed out to me the other day that many people's sources of hope have been stripped away. Many of us can no longer put our hope in our money, 
or our careers or our families or even in our health for obvious reasons. But let me tell you this, we can put our hope in the God of deliverance. Like the people of Israel, God is calling us now in our anguish to cry out to him for help. We are certainly not in control of all things, but he is. And like Paul, God is calling us to a deeper level of faith in him, the one who raises the dead. So in the midst of a global pandemic, which is taking life and forcing us to remain indoors for the foreseeable future, what is God doing? Well, we cannot pretend, and I'm not going to pretend to completely know the answer to that question. If we could fully understand God and predict his every move, he wouldn't be God anymore. But we also can't pretend that the Bible is silent on this issue. There is always purpose in God's permission. Yes, he allows things to happen which are terrible. But part of his purpose is always to call us to a deeper level of trust in him. Because trusting in God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ leads to our ultimate good. He is working all things together for the ultimate good of those who love him. And that ultimate good is freedom, deliverance from death, eternal life in God's kingdom. Well, let me just finish by reading a verse that I read to you earlier on and give you these words to live by that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10. And let me encourage you in your prayers to speak this verse over yourself, your family, your church, your town, your city, your nation and the world as the coronavirus continues to take lives. As we continue to ask that question and wrestle with the question of what God is doing, let me encourage you to say this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Amen.